1: A warm welcome to our audience. My name is Willem Klupper, I'm your host, and this episode is part two of a conversation in which we discuss occupational health and safety. Now, the objective of this conversation is to determine what OHS entails, how it applies to employers, and more specifically, how it applies to the plumbing industry, as well as what the consequences are of not complying with the OHS Act, and what measurements must be in place for employers to comply. Now, with me in studio, I have Chris Kutz here. Just before we give our guests the opportunity to introduce themselves, let's hit the brakes. We'd like to remind our audience that this episode is proudly brought to you by Articulate F Plumber. Chris, thank you for joining us in studio again and welcome back. Uh, Just before I fire away with the remainder of the questions that I have for you uh, for our discussion, uh, would you please just very briefly remind
0: the audience of uh, who you are? Thank you very much, Willem. My name is Chris Goodsia and I'm the owner of OHS. Savvy Consulting. It is a health and safety consulting firm based out of Haribesburg Dam and I work in and around the Gauteng area personally as well as in KZN and Cape Town. Uh, so Chris I want to ask you quickly who, who is it that may possibly be at risk
1: with,
0: You know, uh, or may possibly be affected by the type of work that we do? The most simple answer I can give you is any single person uh, because we could just go back to the purpose of the OSHA Act. Uh, it's really to Provide for the health and safety for persons at work, persons who are operators using plant machinery, and then protecting any person other than persons at work, which could be any single person, a bystander, a visitor, a guest, a client. Really, if there's a life standing around there, uh, you would have to provide for their health and safety in your plan, even though they may be entering your premises you still need to provide for it because you are the one creating the hazard or the risk that they may be exposed to.
1: Chris, getting back to the liability that we've that we've spoken of before for the employers, um, what might be some of the consequences uh, for employers who do not comply with the OSH Act? I'll, I'll, I'll give you one example. Let's say, for example, that an employee's life is lost uh, due to Certain OHS measurements that have not been in place. Uh, what is the seriousness of not complying with the OSH Act requirements?
0: Well, it is certainly very serious, Villem uh, And obviously, there's going to be two factors that any incident investigator is going to look at. Uh, they obviously going to go directly to the law. They're going to look at Section 37, uh, which talks about the acts or omissions of the employee. Uh, if it was an act so something that was unsafe done on the part of the employee or he omitted to do something in terms of health and safety uh, then he could suffer those consequences uh, perhaps even his family Uh, the company could also suffer to a degree but really the employee would be held liable uh, for acting uh, unsafely or omitting to do something safely but your question was on an employee who lost their life it could also be the result of the negligence on behalf of the employer And so that is a very big factor that the inspector will look at. And this really falls under Section 38, which is offenses and penalties. And these penalties are very, very strict. Um, You know, any person, including an employer, who is found guilty of having somebody die or even been injured where they might not have died could still be guilty of culpable homicide. And there's different penalties you know in terms of monetary value from a hundred thousand to five hundred thousand rand one year in jail or two years in jail and although it's not excessive in terms of monetary or jail time culpable homicide could lead to even further penalties being exposed uh, when you are actually in turn in a court of law and the judge could hand down a more stricter sentence uh, because if it's a catastrophe maybe more than one person dies you could be jailed for a long, long time. And not just that, you lose your livelihood, you could potentially lose your company, and there's such a huge ripple effect to your employees, uh, to the life of those who are left behind as well. And so it's really, there's no substitute for having a proper health and safety system because we can see the consequences uh, or the penalties and not having a health and safety really comes with serious consequences.
1: I've, I've heard of, of many instances where as long as the investigation of serious injury uh, or death, for that matter, loss of life, um, for as long as that investigation is ongoing, that certain companies' doors has, have been closed. Um, that the government comes and puts a big lock and notice up at the front gate and they say this premises uh, may not be entered by anybody uh, up until the investigation has been completed. Is that correct? Are you aware of such... Uh, such um Uh, definitely cases
0: we have we have it all the time and it might not even be because of death it could just be because of so many smaller incidents and accidents that are occurring and that is also a huge red flag for the department of labor when you have to notify the department of labor of certain incidents and accidents uh, somebody's falling somebody's falling or drowning in uh, trench things like that we start looking at statistics and say that a company might not have any employee dying, but they have 500 employees cutting their fingers off. And so this is obviously a huge concern. You know, one or two people uh, becomes a small statistic, but when it becomes, you know, five or 600 over the year, and if we look at the 6,500 plumbers in and around South Africa, you can really see how this can become exponential. And this is a huge problem in the industry where we start looking at big incidents and accidents such as death as the problem but we do not focus on the smaller ones which is actually the causation value the smaller incidents and accidents can prevent the bigger things from occurring so when big things happen we know what led up to that was a whole lot of small things and so companies can be shut down for you know days weeks even months sometimes even years and as you rightly mentioned Sometimes, if it is a death, and they are investigating during that entire root cause analysis, they will shut down the company. Sometimes, even indefinitely, where companies have had to uh, rebrand completely or close down completely.
1: And that leads to loss of employment. Uh, that leads to loss of income for for the owners of the company. Um, it's 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 you know certainly the consequences of not having proper uh, health and safety systems in management systems in place and and, and not complying with the OSH Act. Uh, the, the consequences is, is certainly very great. But but from my perspective, you know, my opinion, it shouldn't for employers be about those consequences and being afraid of, oh my goodness, you know, for, for as long as the investigation goes on, uh, you know, my company can get shut down and I can lose business and, and, you know, I have to lay off people and retrench people because of it, whatever the case may be. It shouldn't be about those consequences. It should be the value. It should be about the value of the employee and, and, and everyone else who could possibly be at risk, Um and who could possibly be affected? Whose health and safety could possibly be affected? But by what we do, is, that that should be the ultimate goal. It it shouldn't be about avoiding the consequences and and the liability that I may have um, if something if there is an incident. Um, it shouldn't be about the liability for me as as the employer. It should be about I value the life and the health and the well being of my employees, and and everyone else who's affected by what I do.
0: I fully agree with you, Willem. Um, You know, oftentimes it's difficult to get that across uh, to certain companies because they always see the bottom line and that's financial. How much is the company turning over? What am I making and what is the sustainability of my company? But really when it comes down to it, if you have to look at the cost of health and safety and not just the setup of health and safety, but the cost of an incident uh, can be catastrophic to a business and if you do not look after your employees, if they are sent home because of illness, because of an injury, to replace that person costs money. Uh, to retrain a new person costs money. Uh, to replace PPE, to replace equipment. And now, we're not talking about replacing the cost of a life because uh, that is always, uh, you know, it's, the value is, is priceless. We, we never exactly. put cost on life. But really, uh, if you just think of basic costs, to kit out one plumber in terms of PPE, uh, you know, their boots, their overalls, especially if it's a branded uniform, their gloves and their goggles, and then to train that person in first aid and firefighting, to give them the tools and equipment, uh, you're not looking at a, a few rand, you're looking at quite a big investment into that employee. And so if you don't allow for that employee to look after the tools and equipment and to look after their own life, you just are basically wasting your investment in that person. And so value really comes down to not just the life of that person, but the return that that person is investing in your company. Um, We are plagued by unemployment in South Africa, and it's too easy for an employer to say, well, you're replaceable but really no person is replaceable and your investment should be worth something uh, into an employee. So upskilling and continuous professional development is something that every employer should strive for, uh, for their employees. Chris, does,
1: does all responsibility lie solely with the employer or does the employee also have a level of responsibility?
0: If we're talking about responsibility, it is every single person's responsibility from employee uh, in terms of Section 14 of the OSHA Act and the employer uh, in terms of Section 8 as well as the various other regulations. But ultimately, uh, the liability will always rest with the CEO of the company. And this is who we term as a 16.1 person. Uh, A Section 16.1 person is the CEO or the person that is the highest ranked in the company. And that is in terms of liability. They cannot ever uh, take their liability, detract or deviate uh, from that liability as the, the owner. And so if anything goes wrong in the company, the first stop of any investigator is to check whether the employer has put in place certain systems. Then it goes down to responsibility. So when we look in health and safety, we always look at legal liabilities in terms of the law, and then we will focus on responsibility. And that is because just because someone was responsible, uh, such as a supervisor, were they given adequate training by the employer? Were they given adequate resources to carry out that scope of responsibility? So every single employer must understand that in terms of liability, they are ultimately responsible uh, for health and safety. But they can delegate certain responsibilities to other individuals, making them responsible for their own health and safety, but it has to be backed by adequate training and a system of works for the employee to follow.
1: I, I think also, just to add to that, Chris, is that the employee... Uh, certainly has a level of responsibility in complying with the company's health and safety uh, procedures, health and safety policies and regulations in, in within the company itself. Um, I, th- I think when it comes to, you know, because we can differentiate between the words liability, accountability, and responsibility. And when it comes down to employee responsibility, um, certainly the employee has the responsibility to comply with company policies, company procedures, um, and, and any regulations with with regard to health and safety, uh, occupational health and safety within the company. Is that correct?
0: Definitely. In fact, the very first thing uh, that the OSHA Act says to employees is to look after their health and safety as well as the health and safety of others. And so, Really, it's their responsibility to look after others' health and safety. And you might think, well, that's a bit excessive. But really, an employee who performs a task could put others in the vicinity at risk of what they are performing. Yes, the scope of work is the company's scope, but they are the one actually implementing that scope, using that tool or performing the actual work. And so they are then essentially creating the hazard themselves that could expose someone to danger and so they should look after their health and safety and implement the correct measures uh, using health and safety in the correct way and applying it in the right way but not only for themselves they have to do it with others in mind as well just before we continue the conversation
1: it's time to hit the brakes again
0: don't forget to
1: download the all new and improved app plumber from the google play store all your plumbing solutions are just a click away exclusively for android users welcome back to continue our discussion i would like to ask the following question chris we're talking about hazards and risks What is the difference between a hazard and a risk?
0: Well, very simply, a hazard is the source of exposure. So it's the thing that is going to cause the injury or create the disease that makes us ill. The risk is based on a few factors. It's the likelihood or the potential that that hazard could become a reality. Uh, I think the simplest way I could put it is working at heights would become a hazard. In terms of working at heights, if you work on top of a ladder, uh, on top of a scaffolding, or on top of a roof, uh, that area or environment that you're putting yourself in at heights becomes the source of the risk. And the risk essentially would be falling. But falling from a ladder, falling from a roof, uh, falling from a cherry picker uh, are all different in rankings. So essentially, the elements are the same. The hazard is the source that could create the risk. And then the risk is based on a few factors of the likelihood, the exposure and the potential for the fall to occur. And that's why we always look at trying to eliminate the hazard so that the risks are mitigated.
1: Certainly, I mean, you know, the risk can be can be a, you can identify a hazard, like you said, you can identify the hazard as being working at heights, but the risk can be reduced or alleviated, or you know, it can significantly be smaller, um, if correct measurements are put in place, if the scaffolding that they are climbing on is comply with all the requirements it's stable and, and if they have a, uh, a full protection plan in place they've treated. they've trained the, the 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 plumber to you know if you climb on the scaffold this is the way you climb on the scaffold please wear your safety harness attach it do attach it to this or that uh, apart um, be aware of this um, certainly the risk I agree with you Chris uh, can c- there are different levels of risk. And, and it's not to say that because they work at a height that they are definitely going to fall. Um, it There can be measurements put in place to avoid an incident from occurring.
0: Definitely. So we look at risk uh, in two measurements. We look at pure risk. This is risk without any safety factors or with basic factors in place. Uh, For instance, you mentioned working on a scaffold. We look at the construction regulations uh, to build a scaffold, but actually the construction regulations refers to a SANS code, and SANS 10085 has to be implemented for a scaffold. And that's where you rightly mentioned a fall protection plan, the training of working at heights, uh, the training of ensuring that if somebody falls, they are trained in rescuing that person and have the adequate resources uh, to implement A rescue procedure so if somebody fell from a scaffold essentially where they should stop is in their harness they should never fall to the ground and so they are falling it is a risk to fall but there's no fatality factor the person is not going to die from that fall another hazard will come into play of um, you know hanging in the harness and then you could die because of you know, hanging in the harness. And this is a different factor. It doesn't, it's not related to the initial hazard. So we always look at pure risk, and then we look at implementing safe factors, and then we look at residual risk. And that residual risk rating is really where we need to play, uh, play it safe and ensure that we've got adequate, safe working or safe operating procedures in place uh, to bring that risk low. And yes, it's impossible to eliminate every hazard, you will still always need to work at heights, but that risk factor can be significantly mitigated to ensure that guys do not fall and hit the ground. They might be fallen contained in a safe environment so that they are not injured.
1: Chris, from your experience, would you say that within the plumbing sector, um, from what you've heard or from what you've been involved with and, and, and seen and perhaps, in, for that matter, investigated, um are 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 in general uh, plumbing employers putting in place the correct measurements uh, to mitigate um, risk or to to alleviate risk or reduce risk? Uh, just in general,
0: you know, it's a very difficult uh, question to answer, Willem, because um, generalizing on health and safety uh, is also a, a very to r- the wrong thing to do, if I could put it that way, because uh, generally speaking. If we look at the incident statistics out there, uh, car crashes being one of your highest and falling from heights being your second highest. Now, we cannot attribute all of that to plumbers out in the industry. We're talking mainly in construction industries. But really, if we look at uh, plumbers as a whole and from my experience on working with IOPSA and if I have to generalize, I would say that in the past three years of working with the plumbers, I've really seen them go from... Having a health and safety plan or having a health and safety system to implementing and mentoring a health and safety system to a lot of companies taking it on as a safety culture and I can only uh, commend a lot of the plumbers that I work out there for doing that. Well I'm certainly happy to hear that,
1: and I think that uh, you know most of our audience will also um, what what is considered to be the workspace or the workplace?
0: Well, that's very simple. Wherever you are performing your task or uh, employment, and there's actually a very interesting note here. Due to COVID, many employers have allowed their employees who work on administration or HR or sales uh, to work from home. But the home would then become an extension of the workplace because you are performing your Um, your work in that place you're already performing your employment in that area and so that becomes an extension in fact it goes as far as ensuring you've got a risk assessment done for that employee's home many people do not know this but should an employee get injured while working at home uh, because of rotational work or because of remote work you as the company can be held liable for the risks and hazards at that person's home Uh, so we need to really uh, clearly identify what workspace or workplace is. Even a person's vehicle becomes their workplace or workspace. And that is, you're not performing plumbing inside of that vehicle, but during your employment time, you are traveling from one client to the next, or perhaps to the office to a client. Uh, you're essentially performing duties of your work. And that car or vehicle becomes your workplace as well. And health and safety measures must be implemented at every workplace.
1: Yeah, certainly you you mentioned the vehicle being part of the workplace. It, it's like saying you may not smoke at certain areas of, of the office, but, but the same applies to the vehicle. You know, Plumbers essentially need to get out to site. They need to go out on site and go and work. They, do, they don't fix somebody else's plumbing at the office. <laughs> they, they do it on site. So they're now in the vehicle and that vehicle becomes the workplace. It's part, it's an extension of the workplace. So certainly they, if they're not allowed to smoke, if it's a non-smoking area at the uh, at the office, then certainly that applies to the vehicle as well
0: in many instances it should however there's no policy or procedure in place from the company side uh, in order to promote that with the, the the plumber and so it comes back to I told them not to or they should have known not to instead of having some concrete proof uh, documented to state that no smoking is allowed in the vehicle and then again if it's a no smoking zone it should have a no smoking sign and Just before we continue the conversation
1: it's time to hit the brakes again Plumber training has never been easier with Articulated Plumber courses. Enroll now to upskill yourself at your own pace and earn CPD points. Our informative and easy-to-follow courses can be found on iopsitraining.co.za. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Articulated Plumber. Welcome back. Getting back to that assumption that employers uh, sometimes make um, of... of the employees just knowing what to do and what not to do um you know i we we've, we've had instances or well, i know of instances where um an employee employee can prove that he's got his driver's license but the employer never took him out in a vehicle and said all right so you've proven to me that you've got your driver's license but let's take you for a drive let's let's put you behind the wheel i'll sit next to you in the vehicle Let's go out and let's see if you can actually handle this size of, of a, of a uh, you know, a, a bucky. Uh, um, we call it a bucky in South Africa. It's a truck or whatever the case may be. You know, the vehicle that you will have to drive for, for getting out on site, the plumbers. There are many instances in which the, uh, the employer just merely accepts the fact that, okay, this employee has proven to me he's got a valid uh, driver's license, but they never put them through the actual test of saying, "All right, let's let's go and see. Can you actually handle this specific vehicle? Because you, it may be that the employee, when they learned how to drive, they were driving with a a very small little vehicle. It didn't have." Uh, uh, you know a, a load end at the back that it may have a a, a a canopy on it with ladders and geysers inside which prohibits them from seeing in the rear view mirror or something like that mm. what is your opinion on that chris
0: well i think a lot of people uh, have this assumption that you do not pay a fish to swim and that's very true you know a fish should swim and that's Uh, that's its duty that's its task we wouldn't expect anything else but then really what value are you putting on it so with our employees we might say well they're plumbers they should be able to do plumbing work and that includes if you have a license being able to drive and so the assumption is there that they will automatically add value to your company without you putting anything in and that is never good business sense what you put in is what you get out and so you quite rightly said, if you're not putting in anything, uh, taking the driver out to actually see whether they can drive your Bucky uh, with the equipment inside there, then if you haven't put anything in, you cannot expect anything out. Uh, so really in business, uh, and it comes down to quality management, if you really want to have a quality company, you need to be putting in more than just the minimum. You have to put in some sort of best practice or a higher standard. Absolutely.
1: Chris, tell us a little bit more about the OHS file, the management system for that matter, and, and the OHS file itself. Can I can I add some questions to that? Just perhaps tell us what, what should be inside an OHS file. Um, and, and, and is it required or recommendable to have an OHS file for each site or workspace? Or is it sufficient to have only one general OHS file?
0: Well, a file really, or a health and safety file, is a documented body of proof. Uh, this basically should include all legal documents or all legal requirements in terms of your scope. So two plumbers might be different in the one works in construction, and so the construction regulation will apply Uh, to that company or as another plumber is only working from home going out to private sites and perhaps just doing maintenance tasks in any case both of them must have a full health and safety file and this will include things like risk management baseline risk assessment and issue or task-based risk assessment based on every task or issue that you are dealing with within the company. Then you must also have a continuous based risk assessment and this is monitoring and reviewing whether the risk applications or safe work procedures that you've implemented are actually efficient to stop or prevent injuries or accidents from happening and so that documentation on collecting data should also be in place. Uh, Incident management, what to do before an incident and what to do after an incident. Emergency management, if you don't prepare for it, then you will not be adequately prepared in an emergency situation. We then look at employee management, uh, inductions, employee orientations, medicals to check if they are still uh, safe and healthy while they are working for our company. We have site management, which comes down to inspections, registers, and checklists for housekeeping and hygiene, and site inspections to ensure that the entire environment is safe for us to work in. We look at tool management, uh, you know, things like registers and checklists just for our tools or the equipment that we are using, as well as the logs for maintenance thereof as well. And this would be minimum requirements. There's so much more that could go into an actual management system. And that's why the answer to the second question is you cannot just have a general OHS file. Uh, For many companies, they have one basic file. Uh, This is called a base file. And that health and safety file or management system has got every single task and issue that that company deals with. But we must understand that every client we go out to is in a different environment. Every home that we are going to enter or every site that we walk into has got different risks, different hazards that we are going to be exposed to. And so the health and safety file is unique for that site because it becomes site-specific. We understand that the task you're performing is exactly the same. You're installing a geezer at uh, number 85 and you go down to number 120 and you're installing another geezer. Essentially, you would say, well, I can use the same safety file. But the environment that you are in is different. At number 85, you might be exposed to using a ladder. You might be exposed to electric fencing. You could be exposed to a pool in the yard that you might fall into. Uh, Going to the other home, you might be exposed to having to put this on the roof, you know, with solar panels. So essentially the task might be similar, but the environment is always going to change. We never have the same environment. And so you should have a site-specific unique file for each activity.
1: Absolutely. I agree with that, Chris. Should the audience want to get hold of you, is there a way that the audience can get hold of your company to make use of its services, um, you know, if they need your services and your help to put into place a proper, uh, you know, OHS uh, system, uh, even if it's just help to put in place the file or help on 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 doing hazard identification and risk assessments or whatever the case may be? Is there a way that they can contact you? Where can where can they get hold of, of your company, OHSS?
0: Well, they can either look on our website, uh, www.ohss.co.za. Uh, there they'll see all the services that we do provide, uh, from basic health and safety implementation to our mentorship program to the ISO standards uh, on 9,000, 14,000 or 45,001, or even if they just need advice. Now, if they are IOPSA members, uh, IOPSA does a lot for the plumbing industry. In fact, I do a lot of free things uh, for IOPSA members. So if they want to get in touch with me through IOPSA as well, they can do that. Uh, Some of the courses that we do also come with CPD points from PIRB. And so they can really uh, promote health and safety within their company by using IOPSA, PRB, or even ourselves. Uh, It will always come through to our base Uh, Year at head office and then we will deal according uh, to what their needs or requirements are Uh, but if they want to get in touch with me directly uh, my email address is my name chris chris at ohss.co.za or again just visit the website uh, or shoot through to IOPSA as well just before we say goodbye it's time to hit the brakes one last time
1: like to encourage our audience to follow articulated plumber on instagram and facebook not only to find out more about the man in the band podcasts but also to learn more about any exciting and interesting news that we may have our handle on both instagram and facebook is articulated plumber
0: any last words or final statements from you to our audience Well, one thing I can say is a very big commendation to the plumbers out in the industry. You know, uh, since we started with the Toolbox Talks, we've really seen a change in uh, the behavior of health and safety from just minimum requirements to many asking questions so that we can get rid of the uh, negligent aspect of health and safety where we didn't have it in the past, nobody fell, now we've got health and safety, we've got more incidents and accidents. Well, that's just because we are starting to really check whether incidents and accidents are happening and that's why the statistics look so high but really we are saving lives out there and a lot of plumbers have joined uh, in these mentorship programs not just with myself but with other various companies that we work with as well and so just a very big commendation to all of the plumbers out there uh, for taking health and safety seriously Uh, please continue to do that continue to look at the value of your employees and if you are an employee don't wait for your employer to implement something. Uh, take charge of your own health and safety. It's in your hands and it is also your responsibility. And again, thank you very much to uh, you, Willem, uh, for hosting this podcast. It's really great uh, to have chatted to you and also given some uh, advice to some of the plumbers out there.
1: Chris, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the for the you know the uh, the invaluable information that you've that you've shared with the audience I think there cannot be placed a value to what you've shared with the audience today and what we've discussed today um, certainly and and hopefully um, that should you know change the perspective of some employers and employees for that matter um, on on health and safety occupational health and safety and just the overall well-being of of the employees and everyone else who may be affected by what we do so thank you chris thanks for your time and your effort we really do appreciate that finally it's time to switch off this engine cheerio man in the van podcast
0: your regular audio drive time companion